Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Alright, Lee. Well, kid. What's the story? Story, Rory. No harm, no foul. Oh, ma. Yeah. Leave a bleed now. He's bleeding massive. Yeah, right. Jesus, I have a head on me like a robber's dog. Sure tells himself. How are you getting on? What's the crack? Tis myself, Nicola Barden, here on the Tis Yourself podcast. How are you all doing? Um, obviously, if you are a regular listener, you will know that I didn't have an episode last week because this day last week was my birthday and I was on holidays. I was in Spain and I was rushing around all week and I had a guest lined up and then they had to postpone and then it was just next thing I knew it was nearly time for me to fly and oh, it was just I was just like, do you know what? Take the time off. You're not getting paid for this. Just take the day off. Take it off. And uh, instead I lay by a pool and had some Prosecco. So I was thinking of you guys, obviously, at that moment, okay? I was cheersing to all my Tis Yourself listeners. Um, But I'm back. I am back this week. And um, if you're listening to this today on Saturday, um, tomorrow is World Mental Health Day. So if you're listening on Sunday, that's obviously today. A very important day. And I've got a really really important and eye-opening and moving there's so many words I can think of for this chat that I've got coming up um it's something a story that like I honestly just I felt I sat back and just kind of nodded and laughed and felt like crying and it was just it was it's a gorgeous story and I, I think you'll all learn something everything everyone will take a little something from this chat so if you do listen to this podcast quite a bit you know that the range of guests have been quite different we've got everybody from you know um or Jim Mitty from Breaking Bad talking about disabilities and the perception of them in the media and on TV and stuff like that we've gone from that to Edel Lynch talking about you know being in a girl band and the pressure on her and going broke and you know when people think that you're rich and famous and what that's like and I suppose randomly most of my chats have had some sort of message behind them without meaning to in a lot of the cases but my next guest today um definitely there's a point to it there's a meaning to it he is a pieta ambassador um ahead of world mental health day he plays for dublin he's a dublin footballer so you know maybe you have a perception of dublin footballers maybe think that you know they're they're all strong and they're mentally strong and they're physically strong and you know they take no crap and they're tough on the field um, and that means they must be tough off the field as well. Um, my next guest shows that how tough he was, how tough it was to be a Dublin footballer who was struggling with mental health. Shane Carty has been incredibly open about his journey, about how going on to the Dublin squad, you know, as a young 18 year old, how that was the the joy of his life. And yet at the same sense, when, when he wasn't training, he was being bogged down by suicidal thoughts and you know, how he ended up in St. Pat's in 2014 for 11 weeks, how he's been really open and honest. He's got a book out where he talks all about his his journey, his mental health journey. And 
there's just so much to his story and I, I think that me talking about it is is, is is not what you want to hear you want to hear Shane and I think that's what I'll, I'll let now I'll let this I'll let Shane take over and tell his story um, there's many times he made me laugh there's many times he nearly made me cry and sometimes you might hear me go silent but that's because my microphone was doing this weird groggy thing which made me sound like a I don't know wolf or something and myself or Shane were laughing about that um, so if I'm silent and at the point you think I should be laughing it's I am laughing but I've muted myself <laughs> So just so you know. <laughs> anyway, this is Shane telling his story ahead of World Mental Health Day. Hi, Shane. Hello, Nicola. How are you? Thanks a million for doing this. If you're okay with it, we'll just get stuck in and start chatting about everything. But um, usually I start off in the podcast by asking people, I suppose, how the public would know them best. How the public... I, I think how the public would know me best is probably... Um, and I mean it in a nice possible way, possibly being pigeonholed into the mental health Gaelic footballer. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I, I've put myself into that kind of category naturally. So from one, probably Gaelic football more so in my earlier years. And then of course, since kind of 2014, my story kind of coming out and becoming quite public about it. Um, I would say kind of mental health. So oh, hand in hand, the Gaelic footballer with a bit of a, a mental health um, story. You're kind of like the Brezzy of Gaelic football. Possibly, yeah, but absolutely not in those terms. <laughs> Brezzy is on a different stratosphere to me. So, <laughs> I suppose though, anyone who kind of comes out and is quite open, like you, yourself and with Brezzy, you know, you next thing everyone wants to talk to you because it's so rare that anyone actually opens up like that. I suppose, and to get then everyone wants to hear your story because yeah. no one talks about it. Everyone knows someone with issues or mental health issues or they have them themselves, but nobody talks about it. Yeah, and I found that even in particular, I would say even a prime example of, say, in 2019, when I kind of, my first public speaking event was back in 2017, but I really kind of accelerated in terms, just word of mouth over a number of years from the different clubs, schools and corporates. And I say, like, I put it out there a bit more. Um, I, I would never approach a kind of school, club or corporate. It's always through, just through word of mouth and they come to me and ask me, would I like to do an event? So it was grown from there. And even in 2019, it was the first year that I'd done, I think it was 112 talks. Oh, my God. Across all, across all kind of forums in, in that regard. So I, I, I learned very quickly that um, all the kind of pulling and dragging and for the best will in the world, absolutely, as, as you say, there's not an, an awful lot of people who are willing to speak about it. Um, I was learning an awful lot so I was like even to this day so that was the prime example 2019 where kind of it started off and then of course then the release of the book even in COVID times there last year I think it was I think it was just under I think it was about 90 90 to 100 talks I think it was in in total and even stemming from that obviously with things going back to relative normality you could, you could say um, I think I have something like 30 40 events before the end of December um, so it's going to be well over 100 talks again, you know, you know the kind of way. And I, I've learned an awful lot. I've, I've learned um, in terms of taking on too much in a week and um, two, three talks. And even that, you know, I'm going into speaking to either a, a group of 30 people or 300 people or 3000 people, you know, and, I, and I'm always very much aware that I'm essentially, you know, a stranger to them and I'm bearing my soul and I never bared my soul to anyone prior to 2014, not even my mom or dad. And now it's just a group of strangers and everything like that. So I kind of got a lot of getting used to, I would say. Um, And I kind of had to check myself and even put plans in place for myself because I was regurgitating a lot of the past so often, a hundred times a year. Mm. And I was regurgitating a lot of the past. And what that can actually do for you is kind of 
bring things back up to surface inadvertently because you're speaking about it so much. So what I had done was I actually went back to my psychologist, kind of swallowed my pride. I said, well, I'll go back to my psychologist, go, go back to him and just make sure everything's in check here. You know, just making sure after I have a heavy week of say, for example, I had three or four talks in a week. I go back to him and just go, just talk and kind of we'd find out like little bits and pieces and go, okay, look, you need a week off next week. Just push things back. You just need to kind of detox. You need to kind of find yourself again. Not that I was ever going into his alcohol, but I think you know what I mean by that in terms of just kind of reining myself back in, yeah. getting myself back on track and then going again. It's nearly a kind of a refresh, I would say. It must be so strange for you because as you mentioned, you keep you kept everything inside for so long and then to get up. And it's so brave, obviously, to get up and talk about your journey. And we'll get into that in a second. But like to even like to talk about the worst parts of your life four times a week, like nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be like, and this is how I felt that day. And I felt awful. And I felt like this, this. And you're like, I have to do this to help people. But Jesus, that's 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 strength on a whole new level. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it it is kind of when you put it in that context, it, it absolutely is. I, I take massive pride in it, the, the fact that like I can do it um, and it takes uh, an awful lot within me. But I think the reason and the big why, basically, why do I do this is, is to save a life, essentially, as in to put it in very, very simple terms, is to save a life. Because I remember back in 2014 when I was in St. Pat's and I was chatting away to my mom and, you know, I was still coming through recovery and I was kind of, coming out and I, I was obviously having a very, very good day. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to share my story. I'm, I'm not going to let people get to the positions that I once was. I'm going to, you know, help people along the way. And my mom's going to go, Whoa, just hold on there. As I'm like, you're still in hospital, here, you know, <laughs> you, you have a bit of a way to go and all that. But, you know, it was just the kind of thing within me to go. I can't believe that for one second in my life, I thought I was the only person going through it. And then when I went into the same paths, I'd open the doors of like, you know, 18-year-olds, 80-year-olds, male and female. And I was looking around, I was like, my God, I said, like the amount of people going through this and still so stigmatized, even to this day. We've come a long way since 2014, yes, but it's still so stigmatized. And I'm kind of like, my God, I said, like if I could share my story in a selfish way, I would love someone else to share their story when I was going through my difficult times. But there's simply, it, mental health wasn't spoken about. It, it was, and if it was, it was very much a taboo subject. So, I didn't have anyone there. So I just want to be that lantern for someone because whatever about all the, you know, accolades that I've managed to achieve and lucky to achieve in terms of All-Irelands or individual accolades and all that. And, and I'm not just saying this is kind of, you know, just a put out there kind of statement. I would, you know, I would absolutely love to kind of, as in put that all aside, if I could save one person's life, as in like when I get a message to say, look, Shane, your words in that book on a certain page and you were talking about a certain story or a certain place, it resonated with me so much and I went out and I've got the help and I've changed my life. And I get so, so many of these messages after either a talk or just randomly because obviously the book is just out there. People are reading it whatever day in the week. I just get these kind of random kind of messages and even stemming from, you know, say the, the pinnacle, which obviously was the late, late show. And it was surreal to be on that. And, um, you know, there was, I remember, I think there was like 1100 LinkedIn messages, um, my, tw- my Twitter, my Instagram I think it's like three, four thousand follows, and I, 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 I couldn't even get back to my own mates, and and even I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent there, but what I had actually learned from around that time as well, and um, obviously at the, at the pinnacle of the late late show, you can imagine so many people pulling dragon, which like to do this, which like to do this, come and speak, uh, can you do this podcast, all all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, it's so overwhelming, like I nearly need like a, a second 
a second-hand person here, like a kind of assistant type thing, you know. But from my own point of view, I was actually right. I'm going to actually have, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a, a nine-to-five phone. So I had my phone with Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all my bookings, all my kind of emails and everything that I had to get back to. Five o'clock, I shut it off, airplane mode. I had a secondary phone with basically just my mom and dad, somewhere, my two and my three best friends, my sisters and my girlfriend. I had no social media, no nothing on that. So it was like literally just WhatsApp and that was it. There was about 10 people who had my number on that. And I was so cleansing for those kind of hectic kind of, you could say two, three months, I would say, even after the late, late. And I was just like, why didn't I do this? Like so many times. I still do it to this day. I have to, like I literally have, literally have the two phones here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not saying to everyone to to go get a secondary phone, but yeah, I'm just thinking that's amazing. I actually like I have a work phone, but I turn it off like because I would think, oh, I'll turn my work phone off. But nearly maybe I should keep that one on. Don't tell anyone my number, <laughs> just like my best yeah. friends and keep my other phone off because, oh, yeah, the phone and the Instagrams and the and the scrolling that you do when you're in a bad place, they're the worst things to have in your hand. Yeah. It's like having someone yell at you from your hand going you're not good enough you're you're ugly you're fat whatever it is because yeah. if you feel a certain thing about whatever it is whether it's your appearance or whatever it is you're going to find it online you're going to find mm-hmm. the opposite oh yeah. they, their life is perfect they're having a great time yeah and, and to be completely transparent even after the late late show probably the irony and it was I, I wouldn't say irony but um i i went through quite a difficult time after late late show now absolutely nowhere near to the extent of back in 2014 and something that I haven't really quite shared just as of yet because I hasn't I haven't really had kind of follow-up interviews such as such as this what has been like since since the late late show and I went through a bit of a difficult time um, and again nowhere near to the extent it was back in 2014 but it forced me to go back to basics so back to my psychologist putting things in place like the secondary phone bringing my kind of close circle even tighter and pushing everyone else away going look I need to take some time to myself here and managing it that bit better. But the beauty of that was that I realized that straight away. I go, this is getting too much. This is getting far, far too much. Back in 2014, prior to that, never ever would have realized any of those thoughts or emotions or anything going, okay, look, crisis mode here, push, push the eject button and let's get back to basics. Let's get back to foundation level. And I, I, I kind of pat myself in the back and I felt quite proud. And even, even on... I wouldn't say one particular day, but it was kind of over a span of a week that I was putting plans in place. The likes of psychology secretary phone, putting things out further, further out of field in March, April, May, and all, all that sort of stuff. You know, it was like, these are the things that I've, you know, come to learn on St. Pat's and with my psychologist there after and I'm now putting it in place. Because as I say to people, although I'm seven years on, you know, and, you know, people probably think you have to book, you're doing all these interviews, everything is rosy in my life. It's not, you know, we all have our good and bad days. Yeah. Our bad days are never what it once were, but I still have my bad days. But the difference is I know what to do now. It's really important to have those things because, as you said, in 2014, you wouldn't have had a clue. You would have been like, I'm just going to keep powering on. I'm going to take on 20 million things and yeah. it'll, it'll be fine if I keep myself. That's the thing people always say. If I keep myself busy, I'll be busy. fine. And yeah. that's not the way. Like you need a day where you sit no. on the couch and you've no guilt. You just say, I'm going to watch TV and eat crap without going my Fitbit, my, because look, we all have those days, you know, I have to get my steps in and I have to do yeah. it. You're like, well, some days you just need to do, you just need to do nothing and not feel the guilt. Yeah, and even even at that, you, you've hit it nail on the head there. As in, for me, it was always about staying busy for those two years. Like you, you wouldn't believe, as in, like going from six AM sessions with the Dublin senior football team into school, 
whatever it was, nine to four, home, try to do a small bit of study or a small bit of homework for a couple of hours, off to probably another pitch session or off to my mates, off to do something else. And then I was in bed at 10, 11 o'clock. And that was repeat Monday to Friday. Weekends were then done traveling with matches or going off to do something on my own, whether it be a run or a cycle or a swim or whatever it may be. It was always, always 100 miles an hour. And don't get me wrong, I, I still do that to an extent to this day, but on other days that the likes of that, as like, I used to kill myself, like as I'm thinking, not quite literally, but as in, like, I used to beat myself down if I had like a takeaway or like, as in, if I had a, a can of Coke and all, like just... It's so irrational as I'm thinking, like, geez, I won't be able to run the length of a pitch and I have a can of Coke. Here. Like, do, do, do you know what I mean? I was like, like uh, but that, but that, that in my head was rationalized. That was like, this is why you're not doing it and, and all that. And I know there are certain uh, things that you need to put in place for an elite level sport, and absolutely. But inadvertently, then what I had actually realized was if I have other things in place, and back in 2014, football was the only thing going on in my life. That was the only thing. That was the only thing in my life. That was the only thing that mattered. What I then realized thereafter was if I have the other boxes in my life ticked in terms of social life, work life, relationships, whatever it may be, if they're all ticked and they're on, you know, spacing it out, giving it 20% here, 20% there, that's going to come back tenfold then into my performance because everything else outside my circle then is in check. It's 100% I've, I've checked those boxes. Then within this sporting circle, I'm a lot happier and I'm going to be playing better football. You know, and I just didn't realize that. I just thought, no, this is my football circle. Nothing else out here matters, you, you know. So and I, I think that comes with a bit of maturity as well. But still to this day, I, I think I, I've spoken to, you know, 25, 26, 27-year-olds who can see a lot of me in them in my younger years. And I'm kind of like, just, just kind of educate yourself a bit more, you, you know, educate yourself a tiny bit more. You do all this physical training, educate yourself upstairs. And I'm not saying I'm the finished article, by no means. I'm still learning every day, exactly like you heard on there, about the kind of, you know, Fitbit and the, the Apple Watch and all the getting my steps and all this. People are constantly kind of every single day trying to get that physical outlet. Why not get that mental outlet? Why not keep on evolving? Why not keep on educating yourself around these kind of topics? Because, Life moves on, things change, and you need to be evolving with that as well. That's so right. I, like we don't think about our our head. We think, yeah, I'm getting the steps in. We're not thinking, well, I did I have did I do my self care for this week? And you know, I know it's a lot more prevalent now, but than it was maybe in 2014. But I suppose if anyone doesn't, I suppose know your story, didn't see you on the Late Late Show, or hasn't read the book, take us back to like how did first of all. Um, how long are you playing with Dublin now? Like, how did that come about that you were playing with Dublin? From a very small context, it would have started way back in under the 12s uh, in like a little kind of development scene. That's where my kind of first involvement with, um, I would say, a small Dublin career would have began. And from under 12s, it was all the way up, you know, development teams, 13s, 14s, 15s, involved all the way up there, up until what you would say is kind of the real start to your Dublin career, which is when you get to minor grade, so 16, 17, 18 years of age. And it's where you're going to be training five, six times a week. And it's going to be literally, you know, you're training from January to hopefully it will be September, which it was in our case, looking enough to the All-Ireland final. Um, so I was involved both years with that. Uh, managed to get in my hands in All-Ireland um, in my second year at Dublin Minor Football. Uh, straight after that, in, in school, I, I spoke about there, like the Dublin Senior Football sessions on Tuesday and Thursday mornings when I was still in school. Like it was, it was so funny as in like I was getting changed at 18 years of age I'd enter my leaving cert year just after the, the All-Ireland minor final. I get called up to Dublin senior football team 
And I'm there getting changed into my school uniform and say the likes of, you know, um, Kevin Nolan at the time, Michael Darren McCauley, a couple of other lads who were teachers. They were looking at me thinking, if you were in my class lately, like as I might be teaching you, like in your training with me this morning. So it was quite rare. It was, it was quite a funny thing. And even like I, I was late to some classes because training went over and I'd be coming in at quarter nine, nine o'clock and I'd be getting jeers from the lads and all this. And I'd be coming in with like my little takeaway meals and the little Tupperware and all that. And I'd be there at the back of Irish and like eating away and all, you know, but the teachers are like, they were so, they were so fine with that. And I was just like, I was cringing a bit, but all the lads just kept on, you know, giving me the usual banter that goes with that. So um, my, my Dublin senior career, lucky enough for it started at 18, a very young and um, naive age, but I, I was so, so happy that I was up and I managed to get my hands on an All-Ireland in, in the shape for Sam Maguire at 18 years of age. Um, and all during this time, we would have been coinciding with the kind of mental health struggles that I was having. Um, although my kind of career was going an upward kind of curve on mental health and internally, I was going the opposite way, you know. So my, my involvement then would have kind of stemmed after the minors, you know, go into 21. So you're kind of juggling during the 21s and seniors. Mm-hmm. Kind of natural progression is kind of minors under 21s. And then seniors, if you're relatively talented, if, if you have somewhat talent about you, you might get called up in my case that I did. So you're kind of juggling the two. Um, and then from there, even kind of putting the kind of mental health story aside, just to kind of Dublin career specifically, I would have had kind of a span of 2013 to 2017 involved the Dubs, and it would have been the first year that I would have been dropped from Dublin senior football team in 2017. Took that hugely difficulty, and uh, hugely a kind of difficult kind of news to kind of hear, and kind of what way would you go? As in, like people go one way or another, and for me. Because of, again, I, I actually kind of put this down to kind of the education or kind of my mental health that I was like, I can see this one or two ways. I can go down the negative path or the positive path. They can see this as an opportunity to be able to reset, go back to the club football and, and reset and grow and, and get myself back in. And thankfully I did back in 2018. Got dropped again in 2018 then for the for the championship. So reset again. And, and, and for other people, they're kind of like, for one reason or another, I, I, I was getting kind of let go from the panel, but never once did my desire or love for the game diminish. So I, I said, I go, lads, I don't care if I'm playing, I would love to play intercounty football, but if I'm back with the club, I still want to be the best footballer that I can be. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and I spoke about it in the book from my very, very early years with my dad. He goes, whatever you do, whatever you get into essentially, as in whatever you do, do to your, to do your best of your ability. And that went for absolutely anything. So if it was schoolwork, if it was just life in general, um, or especially in my, in my case in the sporting world, whatever you do, do to your best of your ability. And I just said, I'm going to be the best footballer I can be. If it so happens to be an inter-county level, happy day. So I continued along the trend and thankfully got a call back in this year and was my first full year in the, the kind of league and championship. Granted, a bit of a shorter year, obviously, because of COVID the last kind of couple of years, but... To, to, to put it kind of mildly, I've, ha- I've had an up and down career. I've, I've had kind of stop start and, you know, my love has never diminished for the game and and, and I never will. Um, thankfully, my foot is back in the door and hopefully then kind of coming into next season. I've, I've just turned 27. My birthday was actually last week. Um, birthday. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I, I feel every bit of 27, so I'm near retirement possibly. I don't know. Um, no, I, I, th- I think I have another six, seven years in me at least. So, uh, I, I have massive aspirations to to definitely kind of step step on again after getting my foot in the door this year. Step on again and drive on next year, and and then just don't look back from there. 
Um, because I won't be going anywhere but as I said my love for the game will never diminish and I'm going to be working every single day toward that so I, I, I've quite a bit to go um, and, and I'm really really looking forward to it I have to say So you're playing for Dublin you're obviously at the height of what you've been aiming for and this is when things took a turn for you like you're you're in the position you wanted you've, you're like in a position as you mentioned that a lot of people don't have you've got you've kind of bypassed the under 21s a little bit you're still doing it but when does it start? When does things start niggling at you? When do things start to, you know, you start hearing things in your head that are maybe not the right voices that you should be hearing? Yeah, so so that that would have coincided with my second year at Dublin Minor Football. So I only would have been in the middle of fifth year. So we just just embarked on our, our second year at Dublin Minor Football. We'd lost out in the All Ireland uh, final the year previous. Um, to a last minute temporary goal so we were very much going on a couple of lads he spent two years at minor football some of the lads it was end, end of the road after that temporary game lucky enough for me and a couple of other guys it was you know our second year so we were kind of vying to go right one step further here we need to, to right the wrong in the previous year so that would have then started in the middle of fifth year um, what I didn't know then what I obviously now know was depression and it would have been very sporadic at the start I remember I would have had things to look forward to, whether it be like a game or an out with my family or out with friends. And these kind of, you know, I wouldn't say negative voices started then, but it was just this kind of low ebb, this kind of low feeling that I couldn't quite make sense of. I was like, why am I looking forward to this? You know, I, just, I, I knew I should be, but internally I just couldn't get those kind of endorphins going. And, he, and I was just, I was so confused. And because I was seen as this, you know, quote unquote superstar, or whatever, playing for playing for Dublin and having a great life and everything. And from the outside looking in, I did have a loving family, loving friends, and and a Dublin career going quite well at that stage. So that kind of poker face, that mask in the middle of fifth year began to kind of you know put itself up. Um, and even when I spoke about it there after the All Ireland minor final, you know, a couple of months after that, I've just turned eighteen. I get called Dublin senior footballer. Still, the people know that's kind of coming into six months to a year through ever worse than depression at that stage. So that, that's where I was saying that my career was going from double minor football to double senior football, I was still in school. And yet internally, I'm going the opposite way. And I was thinking, my God, as I'm like, my life has just gone up a curve. How can I say this to anyone now? And it was just like, after each kind of achievement that was going higher and higher and higher, the less likely I was to speak. And, and that's that's just the way it was going. And in around the time, I'm sure anyone kind of li- listening in and bits and pieces like that around kind of exercise you've spoken about, the kind of physical endorphins that you release, that was, I would say, my approach my medication. That was things that were kind of put in place there to keep me going. And no one was none the wiser of what was going on to me, but I knew I needed that release. So five, six times a week, I was lucky enough to be training at that stage and at that intensity. But I needed that for my mind because I would be going into a session. I could be going in for some days toward the latter years, kind of year one to to then coming into this into the year two with bloodshot eyes. I was going to going to kind of these morning sessions. I was crying, but little bit of people were thinking, "Oh, it's a six a.m. session. You're probably just a bit tired." You know, some people just look a bit probably what I look like right now, and um, just to scraping themselves out of bed you, you know and, and you don't really you kind of just like oh she's had, had a terrible sleep or whatever but little did I know I was driving from training from my house to training and I was crying I was coming in with bloodshot eyes and the kind of mask and the I would say the persona that I was given that everything was okay was slowly beginning to I would say deteriorate it was beginning to kind of show cracks and um, coming into kind of a year and a half two years and even I spoke about there I got my hands on 
the all uh, the all Ireland senior trophy in the in the Sam Maguire a week after that. So I've just been in front of eighty two and a half thousand people with the Sam Maguire cast high above my head, and one week later, I'm having thoughts of dying by suicide. Jesus. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking, especially at that stage, you, you can you can probably be in my head here going, how can I say this to anyone? Last week I was. I'm 18 years of age, overachieving in my career to date. And last week, I was just at the pinnacle of my career in front of 82,500 people. And now I'm sitting here wanting no part of this world. I was thinking, how can I say this to anyone? Like, as in, this is the most unlikely situation that I can now speak up. So it, it kind of culminated into yet again, as it did for that year and a half of that crush, that medication continuing to be football. But the suicidal ideations were never leaving by my side. Um, and it all kind of came to a fore kind of, I would say, in January 2014, that would have then marked two years from the journey through depression. And the suicidal ideations weren't leaving by my side. I didn't want to act upon them. I didn't want to think about it. But they were never leaving too far by my side. So I was building up the courage. I was thinking, okay, I need to speak up. I need to say something to my mom or dad. I, I didn't know what I wanted to say, but I knew I'd need to speak up. But in around that kind of period, we, we had a very, very difficult time within our own family. And... Um, my granddad passed in that January and then six weeks later, my nanny had passed, um, both my mom's sides. So you, you, you can imagine there, the courage that I was building up, you know, after passing my granddad, I'm building up the courage a couple of weeks after the funeral and then my nanny passed and I was thinking, my God, but whatever I'm going through in my life can't even compare to what my mom, especially, and my family are like are going through. So, it, it, it was just a sequence of unfortunate events, um, not only for myself, but for my family, especially my mom as well, that just kind of led me to not speak up and, and just continue as I was going. But the way I was going was only going to go one way to be quite blunt about it. That's the thing, I suppose, a lot of people, like a lot of things you're saying, people aren't playing for Dublin, people are, you know, in different circumstances. But this sounds exactly like why a lot of people don't speak up. They're like, okay, well, that person has died in my family. I can't say that I feel like this. I feel like dying. Or like your career is going really well. Why would you have, why would you feel like that? It's like people have ideas, I suppose, that if your your life is going a certain way, there's no way you should feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. And pro- probably going back to your question at the, at the very kind of start in terms of when we spoke about like, why do I do as a course to, to save a life? But then to make people realise that this perceives guy living this great life and and doing all these great things in his life can go through a difficult time so so can you because I, i'm i'm not a, none of us are immune to to any of this as in like mental health can affect anyone of any shape or form no matter you're male or female no matter what age you're it can affect you and because i was seen up in this pedestal this pedestal that i didn't want to be up on this line where i figured that people see me up on but i was lucky enough to be there um, and only when I came to the realization that although I shirked away from it and shied away from it for my essentially my whole kind of younger years, I need to step up in that pedestal then and say, look, this is me bearing my soul here. As I'm like, this is me bearing, like, I've gone through a very, very difficult time. This is my story. This is my experience. And an awful lot of people had related to that um, and, and respected that in, in, in a way because I was, I say, like those other, like the people suffering in silence. I was trying to guide them and shine a light to them to say, look, but the only regret in my story is that I didn't speak on day one in the middle of fifth year when it started for me. You know, people go, when you look back, do you have any regrets? And I don't like to say I have regrets, but if I did, it would be that. It would be, if I hadn't known the path that was there for me, although hugely difficult, and I'm still to this day, still, we're all along our own journey. But the acceptance piece of, this is me, this is who I am, and this journey, I wouldn't change it for the world because 
it's made me, and not to be kind of cliche and cringe, but it's shaped me into the man that I am today. You know, and and just even a prime example of that, I remember I have three sisters, um, Michelle, my oldest sister, she lives over in Stockholm. So, um, and, and around that time that she lived in Stockholm, she'd seen me just prior to my admission into St. Pat's and uh, my brother-in-law, Joey, who, uh, who obviously lives over there with her. And he had slagged that Christmas then when he came back. So I had been a bit in St. Pat's that was in kind of, you know, April, May, June, over, over the kind of summer. And then they came home for the Christmas time. And it was like, it was, I, I said something at the table. I don't know what it was. I think it was, I was handing out cards. That's what it was. I was handing out Christmas cards and I put little notes in it because I realized the smallest things mean the most to people. So I, I said, right, I'm going to buy Christmas cards for absolutely everyone. I say a little nice note about them, what they mean to me. And I handed them out. And Joey looked at me, he goes, where is Shane Carty? I'm like, and what have you done with him? Like, I seen he goes, the person last Christmas or when I seen you in Stockholm prior to your admission in St. Pat's is just not this person. You know, and he, and he meant, obviously, I, I, know, I know exactly what he meant by it, hasn't he? He meant it in the nicest possible way. Like, I've evolved. I went in there and essentially rebooted my mind and came out with a different kind of ask, or, or perspective on life, I would say. And I'm trying to tell people that as in like, although how daunting and how taboo you know, mental health is, it, it's it's absolutely not. Let's strip the back here and like, look at me as a prime example of help works because, you know, seven years on, I'm, not, I'm in an awful lot better place than I was back then, like, you know. Going into St. Pat's, that must be, like, that's final straw, I suppose, for you. Like, you know, that, and that's a big step to take. But the one thing I have noticed is that you, as you were saying that you were like, the suicidal talk was in your head for two years at least or whatever, but you never thinking about your whole thought was I have to tell someone you weren't going how am I doing it what, what am I going to do to to you know end my life you're you're t- saying to yourself I have to tell someone which is so I don't know it's empowering but it's also refreshing to know that you knew that your life was worth something to that you had to say it yeah and that and that was the thing because as I said each person's kind of situation is different but I I'm so lucky to have the circle that I have around me and each time that these suicidal ideations were kind of engulfed my mind. I had these brief respites from them and I just remembered kind of images of, it could be anything from literally my dad coming up with me and the, the lashings of rain and in, in October, November time to stand behind the goal and, and collect footballs for me mm-hmm. or, or my mom kind of bringing me in like breakfast because of, 18, 19 years of age, I couldn't make my own breakfast around me. <laughs> just like, and I still can't, uh, just, like, just like little things like that were deep kind of indignations that like my life is worth something here and the effect that what I'm thinking here will have, the detrimental effect that it will have on people around me is simply not worth it. And I, I don't I don't know whether you call it inner strength or inner, uh, there, there was just something within me that knew my life was worth a bit of something. And, you know, even as you say, when you, when you go into St. Pat's, it's essentially the last kind of last chance saloon, if you like, or, or whatever you may be. I probably wouldn't put it as that, but, you know, it, you were at, I was certainly at the depths of, of despair around there. And as I said, it was, it was a hugely difficult time in those 11 weeks. Like I spent 11 weeks in St. Pat's and it wasn't all plain sailing. It wasn't as if I went in there and then it was just like therapy and everything is okay. Like as depression is, it's ups and downs. I have my good and bad days. Like there's three different, for, for people you possibly don't even, even know either, there's three different kind of sections within St. Pat's. So you have the secure unit, you have the semi-secure unit, and then you have like the open unit. So the idea is that you kind of make your transition. If you are at the 
you know, um, suicidal kind of ideations and uh, and kind of detrimental kind of things that are going on in your life. At that point, you're in secure, secure unit, you reach a certain point, you're in semi-secure unit, then you open unit, and then you transition out into the real world again, essentially, you know. And, and to be quite stark and blunt about it, even in the secure unit, I spent, I think it might have been about five days in there, and they take your laces off you, they take your um, strings from your, you know your shorts. Your if you had one on your hoodie, you have no cables for your charging. You have no razors, no nothing. You use plastic forks. There's there's no, and I think you know what I'm kind of hinting at in in around there. And even there was a small kind of ten by ten garden. I remember one day a bit of a lighter note on this, and um, because in St. Pat, you, you just wear you, you know you're just your normal clothes, you know. And my mom and dad came to visit me as they did every single day. And I went out into the garden and I was just there kicking the football with my dad and my mom sitting there on the uh, on the bench and being inquisitive as ever. She's just kind of looking around, gawking us, kind of everything and anything, life, nature, all this sort of stuff. And there was, uh, there was a nurse out with a patient and she was like looking across and I could see she was going to ask something. I go, what, what's, what's going on? She was like, how do you tell the difference between like us, like as in just visitors and patients? I was like, oh, that's easy. Just look down her shoes. We have no laces. And she, <laughs> she, 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 was kind of, she was kind of like she didn't know what to laugh or cry. We, we absolutely we laughed at it. And she was kind of like, and I, I just start bursting out. My dad started bursting out laughing. And then she eventually started laughing. Like I, I think just in the situation that I found myself in, yeah. to find a bit of light was just so. I, I, I don't know what you would call it, but it, it was just one of those situations that were like. I just put a bit of light in the situation as in the, the situation that I was in it was quite dark and bleak and to have that brief moment of respite and a bit of a laugh and with the people who mean the most and right around me and to have it like that and we still laugh at it to this day as in, we have some we have some crazy stories within St. Pat's that are, that are so so funny that we kind of bring up if it's a cup of coffee with my sister down the way or something like that we're sitting at the kitchen table like, oh, I remember this and we kind of we have great stories and I have great memories in there and I'm so grateful for for everyone within there, you know, for essentially, as I said, rebooting my mind and kind of giving me a different outlook on life and essentially saving my life. And um, because that's what it was. I, I, I needed an intervention in my life at that stage. And I was so lucky. And I know, I don't know if we're going to speak about the, the services or lack thereof. And, um, but, you know, I'm very, very much aware that I was in a very, very privileged position to have the backing of the GPA and WGA and other people around me to get me into the likes of St. Pat's. And not an awful lot of people have that. No, there's very, very minimal people who have that access. Um, and that's where I'm trying to, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm trying to advocate for that, but I'm trying to share my message going, look, help works. And why do we not have this help? As in like, you break your leg, you're off to the hospital straight away. If you're in mind, you break your mind. Why don't we have access to something straight away to be told, oh, here, I'm having suicidal ideations. No problem. I have an appointment with you in six months time. Yeah. It's like, is this is this some sort of a joke here? As at what, at what point do we need to get to to realise that this is life or death for an awful lot of people? And I, I don't want to butcher the, the kind of figure and stat, but as far as I'm aware, I think we in the next kind of three to five years will be one of the highest suicide rates uh, within Europe. As as far as I'm aware, don't don't quote me on that, but but I, we're very very close. As we're, we're very very high up on that list. And at what point do we need to get to to go? Okay, we need to a vast kind of change within every sort of su- support and service that we have or don't have in this country to kind of get us to a better place. Like, yeah, no, I, I know someone's been through like the mental health system and this whole idea of 
right like you mentioned you go in and you're presenting yourself and you're like I need help and someone's like okay well someone's going to call you with a pre-appointment in six weeks and then you might get your actual appointment in six months but it'll only be like a check-in and then you'll you might get your therapy Uh, that's like it's terrifying because maybe some of the people who have taken their own life may not have gone that far if they'd gotten the help 100% 100% and I absolutely there was there's absolutely people within those figures that were in that position and and, and that's where I find it so the, I, I'm quite when I go in and share my story I go look this is my experience this is where I'm coming from and um, as I said I'm very very lucky to have the support that I have I realize absolutely not everyone has this but this this is only what I'm speaking about but I'm hoping that by me sharing this and getting the support straight away is a prime example of what we need for every single person out there because, you know, as I said, th- those figures are absolutely, absolutely no doubt that people within those figures are the likes of that going, okay, pre-appointment in six weeks time, then six months, then possibly not. You, you know, it's, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I get quite annoyed about it. I get quite upset about it as well, uh, kind of thinking of what could have been for an awful lot of people and, and they kind of, I would say the life that they've left there and, and the detrimental effect that they've left around them, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, thereafter. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't like it. <laughs> no. and, it's, and as you say, like you, you were in that position, the privileged position, but also, yeah, you were in a privileged position that you got that, that spot in St. Pat's, but also it's very hard for you as a public figure to go, this isn't like things are not working for me and everyone's looking at you going, your life is brilliant and you're winning all Ireland's. And, and like for me personally, if it was me in your position, going to maybe your mom and dad is terrifying, but going to the Dublin panel and they're looking at going and Shane is doing really well and he's going to be in the panel next year. And you're like, actually, things aren't going that great for me. It was like, I would find that probably a little bit harder than talking to maybe your mom or dad or something kind of going you know the way I'm playing really brilliant well the thing about it is <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that's and that's the thing as in like my, my very last match prior to my admission in St. Pat's I, I was awarded man of the match um, and I don't know if, you're, if your listeners are familiar with with that story I was as is the, the poker face the mask was wearing bare and it was a Wednesday morning we, we had the under 21 Messer final um, that evening down, down in Port Leash um, and just the room next to me, my man came into me in the sitting room again with a bowl of porridge. That, that age old thing of I can't make my own breakfast, but you came in to me with a bowl of porridge. Um, and, I, and I was crying. I, I was crying. I was in a flood of tears. I was, you know, a river soaked uh, floor right beneath me. And I was just crying. Kind of, the game was up for me. The emotional tap was open. I was done hiding. I was done, you know, my man knew there was something going, kind of going on, but it was the first time that she had seen me physically kind of cry. Uh, sat there for a couple of hours, you know, wept, and she contacted my middle system right to say, "Look, can you bring him out to track him before the big game?" And um, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole cliff walk, but um, for, for even a lead athlete or any person at all, it's a, it's a tiring um, walk. Uh, so, Ray's brought idea to the track before a big Leinster final game was to bring me right there for for two hours. So, um, and it's absolutely not the most ideal thing to be to be doing before a big game. But it was it was again on that walk. I, I didn't speak a whole lot. I'd never even like uttered. I think no more than five words. But again, it was known that I had that listening ear, that listening shoulder right by my side, if and when I needed it. I came back into the car and when I shut the door, 
thoughts and feelings came straight back in. Maybe not even football to be my out at this stage. And I had Desi from a push of button way to say, look, I can't go through it. This, you know, I, I'm, I'm in such a bad way here. I can't play the game this evening. Never went through the phone call. So I went off, got my gear bag ready, met the lads in the team hotel. Didn't eat anything, had half of some water and that was it. Off on a bus. And I'd even text my sister um, halfway through the bus journey to say, can't go through it. Just, I, I, I don't think we can play the game. She said, the family's going to be right behind you. We're going to be at the game. We want to see you there. So right to the ground, got myself ready, out into the pitch. And I, I still say it to this day, it was the most satisfying 60 minutes of football I've ever played in my life. It was like a kid in a playground again. And I remember coming toward the end of the match, I was wishing and willing the referee not to blow the whistle. I, and we were winning the game, wasn't you? Probably thinking, just blow the whistle. Like, you know, I was like, do not blow the whistle. And I, said, like, I pounded every blade of grass as if it was my last game, you know, and I just didn't want to get off. Um, and we were victorious in the game. We, we won the Leicester Championship, um, but I was awarded man the match. And like, I bear in mind, I had half a sub water. I didn't eat anything. I didn't even have that porridge. I didn't eat anything that day. It was maybe Chuck Luke said before I went out on the pitch. As I'm collecting the award, up on the pedestal again, up on the steps, taking all these pictures, cameras around me, everything flashing, all this, absolutely great. Little people know, 12 hours previous, I was in a flood of tears with my mom, my sitting room. They just seen yet again, this guy living this great life. And it's just like, just to kind of, the contrast within that. And then I found myself in St. Pat's then a couple of weeks later. So I, like, as in to, to, to say kind of, it was difficult that I was going through such a difficult time but be able to churn out um, good performances to be warranted a man of match performance in a Leicester final game it, it, it's just I don't know how it done it uh, to, to, to kind of put it that way and it, it, it's just one of those things it's hugely difficult and it's hugely difficult to kind of go, go into uh, uh, not to diminish any kind of female kind of listeners or whatever a male dressing room you know alpha males and you know everything you know tough you know show weakness all that sort of stuff to bury yourself to 30 35 lads to go I'm not feeling great and crying in front of them and all that now I'm not saying that's, that that's the case but even taking one or two lads aside and going look I'm not going through a great time that's hugely intimidating as I'm like my god as I'm like like people just talk about like chinks in her armor and like oh he's mentally weak and all that we can get from in the game and all this sort of stuff that's just not the case as I'm like I remember coming out of St. Pat's and that was my worry going back into the into the team because it came out, but I made it public with where I was. Again, speaking about, you know, the privileged position that I was in, having an effect for their field. So I wanted I wanted people in, in the public to know where I was and it came out quite publicly. And no, I didn't know the reaction. I didn't have any of my phone. I didn't have the phone in, in St. Pat's. I didn't turn on. I literally just, again, kind of what I have now, just literally a phone with my mom and dad's number and my sisters and all that. Um, and I came back out and I was just, I spoke about the small things, came back into the senior setup and just first session back, a bit kind of apprehensive going, how are 30, 35 lads going to perceive me here? They've seen that being in a mental hospital and how are they going to perceive me here? And one of the lads, Paul Flynn, a senior figure of the team, came over to me and he literally pat me on the back and he said, good to see you back, mate. And I was like, that for me was like, and I remember saying it, it was only years ago, I think we're at, we were at some gig in, in um, in HQ in Crow Park and I had said that and Paul was actually at the event and he was like I didn't even remember and I go I know you wouldn't doesn't because like you pat me on the back I'm sure you pat many people on the back but for me when you're going through the most difficult times it's the smallest things that mean the most to people that pat on the back for me was me back into the team reintegrated back into the setup and I was just as happy as anything I was just like as if nothing happened and the lads were 
so sound. Even to this day, as I said, I still have my good and bad days, getting dropped, coming back into the team, not having a good game, having a bit of difficulty at home, whatever it is. The lads are there. As I'm like, the lads are there. As I'm like, you can open up the conversation. I've had, I've had lads not only in the own, in my own county, not to name any names, not only in our own county, but going into college in DCU. Um, from all walks of life um, from different counties and coming up to me going look going through a bit of difficult time and I just share my experience with them and, and they've taken something from it and although it's a big rivalry on the pitch you know outside of that I'd do anything to help anyone no matter if they're a double player or Harry player or Tyrone whoever it is you know, I'd, I'd, or <laughs> yeah. well uh, I, yeah <laughs> but, but, but you know as in absolutely we're, we're rivals on the pitch but, but outside of that there's there's life there's there's a person and there's more to them than just a footballer that a lot of people see and you know we have to realise we are seen as gated footballers and, and somewhat in, in a better light than others um, but again when at the end of the day when we trip it all back we, we go home as much as anyone else and have a family and you know have a life outside of football as well so when you trip it all back anyone's susceptible to anything really in this life what you said about the um, the small things, that to me really rings true because, you know, when someone says something negative and it could be the smallest thing, it's the one thing you'll remember for life. Like you'll always remember yeah. someone who said, and that's just one sentence, but the small things like if I, just, I think like, you know, I had a family passing a few weeks ago and I, I just remember like the people who were just who just maybe sent you a text four days after, you know, it's not on the day or whatever, just just checking in and you'll always remember those like you did with Paul Flynn. You, he doesn't remember yeah. he said that, but you're like, that to me is a the little sign of acceptance that I'm here, you're okay, I'll look after you if you need anything. He might never, never remember that, but you're like, I'll always remember that. It doesn't have to be a big, here's, I made you seven lasagnas or whatever, you know, to keep you yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's literally as I'm like, this little thing with text and all this, and even when I'm, I'm like, we, we have a match this evening with the, with the club and, and um, you know, I, I say I'm I'm getting on. I'm old. As I'm like, I'm 27. Like I still think, as I said, there's there's years left. But there's there's lads in, in in the fall that are 18, 19, 20 years of age. Like a little text here and there after a session of something they may do in a game or something that they might need to be said to them. Like that, again, it all comes with experience and maturity and all that. But a little pat around the back, a little text, a little phone call, a little just anything at all, just small for them because I know when I was kind of growing up the likes of, say, Shane Ryan, who was in our club, designed to come to the latter end of his career. Like, he, he's someone who I idolise and looked up to and all this. And I'm now passing the ball and he's telling me how great I am and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, you know, that's, that's Shane Ryan who I've seen on TV and from Hill 16 and all this sort of stuff. And again, when he come into the fold, they're just normal people. They're just like, you know, I always put it kind of like the likes of, you know, when you back when you were younger you seen like a, a teacher in like a supermarket it's like teachers <laughs> you know remember you used to like you just used to think teachers were just part of the furniture in school and they were just like parents just not leaving the place like you know but the, the, the likes of that is like oh my god as in like these are real person type thing it's just like my god as in like going back to that just little things just just little things that mean something to and not only younger lads but again the older lads are just anyone anyone around your circle little things can mean the most so it's a little text a little phone call a little gesture of I don't know, a cup of coffee or something like that you know it, it means an awful lot more than than doing the bigger things and you're now an ambassador for Pieta and 
how do you find that? Like having to, I know we talked about earlier, having to tell your story quite a lot. And um, I imagine that because you're an ambassador and because your story is out there, people maybe come up to you in the street and stuff. Do you find that you have to kind of, I suppose, nearly set yourself some time away from from the talking about it? Yeah, I, I do. And, and it's it's kind of, it's one of those things that kind of goes back to kind of my own individual kind of stuff that I do for my public speaking, but then also then with Pieta where the likes of the, the Feel Good campaign that, which is coming up and different bits and pieces that they may be rolling out during Christmas and other times of the year that it's going to be quite heavy and hectic um, and you kind of prepare yourself for that. So it's nearly like the way I see it is like preparing myself for matches and like you visualise things, you uh, preempt things and all that sort of stuff. So you've got yourself ready for what's going to be in front of you, whether you're stopped in, in the street or doing a number of interviews or speaking so much about it, you know, you, you can control the controllables within that. So as not like you can kind of foresee what might be in front of you. So when you actually come to it, it's not all that bad, you know, so the anxiety levels aren't up or the kind of stress levels aren't up because you've already pre, pre kind of seen, you pre-visualized that. That's the way I see everything in life in terms of whether it's a game this evening or, um, you know, you know, public speaking event or whatever it may be. So, Within that, um, I'm very much aware that, you know, I have to look after myself thereafter. So the likes of the, the kind of campaigns of Pieta are quite heavy that I, you know, I'd maybe take a week off from the public speaking events for my own kind of my own kind of side or I may go for uh, more sea swims. I've actually taken up sea swim in the last kind of year or something like that. Things that Everybody you know, has taken up sea swimming. I, I am a shameless uh, owner of dry robe as well. So uh, I I'm sure everyone would be glad to know that on, on this. Um, but yeah, I, I, on front Port Marnock, I have to see like literally across the road, like, and I just never, I never seen it as that up until the pandemic. And it's just it's like nothing else. As in like the likes of that, as in like just putting things in place, the kind of self-care that you spoke about, putting it in place after the likes of a big campaign with Pieta. Because I will give my absolute all for it, for it, for it, and for either the individual nature of my talks or Pieta, because I know the people that would be speaking on the street or the people that be interviewing me or whatever kind of thing that I may be doing has a bigger effect than I really do think. So don't be, don't be going 50% into it. Go all in, give it your all. And you just never know the effect. And sometimes I just never even hear the effect and it, it, until further down the line. I remember like, you know, people going, Oh, I remember I bumped into him and said this and blah 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 and it really helped me and all this and I'm kind of like oh yeah I remember it was like two years ago or something like that I, I don't remember even the likes of say I, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here spoke in um, uh, Gormanstown College yesterday and um, I, I was speaking I, I done the event and uh, it was a six, uh, 60 year girl that came in and she was threatening and whatever else because she she's she idolized me in, in, in some shape or form. I thought it was, oh, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was really, really nice. Um, got it was a difficult conversation to tell my girlfriend this last night, but it was really, really nice. Uh, she came in with the book. She asked, could I sign it? And absolutely everything. I was like, lovely, yeah, absolutely no problem at all. Thanks very much for the support and all that. She's like, oh, can I get a picture? And I got over she, she was she was like, she was so afraid and nervous. And I was like, yeah, come on. Like, as in, off your mask, let's get a picture and all that. And um, it, it must have been her mother. She had messaged my sister. Uh, sister works in the airport and I think the girl's mother um, works in some part of the airport said uh, could you just pass on my thanks to, to Shane um, the girl came back last night and uh, and she was absolutely over the moon signed the book got a picture and it really really meant a lot to her so the likes of that a little thing from my side and that just made the girl's day as in they make, make 
make the girls weak or want or whatever it may be. But a little thing like that, a little gesture, a little literally signed the book, taking a picture. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. That meant the world to do, do you know that kind of way? So I'm very much in the know-how of when I meet these people, the smallest of things that I say or do will have a massive effect on them. So try to be as positive as you can and try to have a lasting effect on them that will kind of put them in good stead for the future and whatever they get into. Also, you don't like that's a lot of pressure putting yourself as well to always be kind of positive. But the thing is, these, as you mentioned, these moments last. Like I'll remember, you know, in my job, I do meet a lot of celebrities, but like I've seen them interacting with fans and I've seen the ones who are just like blow them off or no, I don't want to sign anything. And yeah, they might be having a tough day and you get that. And the other side is your tough day is now put onto that person as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> One photo it, it can make someone's day like, it, you know. I know you're having a tough time or whatever. So for you to like, that girl is now buzzing. She's now told her friends. She's told her family. Your girlfriend is now going, you're dead. You're sleeping in that spare room. <laughs> My comfy double bed, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, right. it, it's simple things that mean a lot. It's like, as we said, the small things, like it's not this thing where you said, oh, I'll, I'll go to your Debs with you or anything like that. It's a small little yeah, yeah. thing. You took a photo her and signed her book and she'll now always have that nice memory of you. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. I, I always find it, and I, I love it. I absolutely love it because um, it, w- it would be a sad day that I ever turned down a, a photo or, or a, the signing of a, of a of my book or, or whatever it is, or a jersey or, or whatever um, is put in front of me. Because I realised when I the likes of I spoke with Shane Ryan or anyone else, who I idolised, and when I went off to Old Trafford to see Manchester United play, as in like Roy Keane or Cristiano Ronaldo sign and stuff, I was like, my God, as I'm like, I still remember that, you know. And it's just those lasting impressions, like first impressions last. And I'm very much in the know how of that, and and the realization that it's a huge, huge effect that you can have on people. I, I find it so funny, as and with all due respect to myself, kind of like who am I, who am I? Like genuinely, who am I? As I'm like I'm I'm no one. As in like even somewhere compare me to Brezzy. Brezzy, like as in is a superstar in my eyes, and I'm just I play a bit of Gaelic the odd time. I may get dropped from Dublin, and maybe back in. I I've played some was some amount of games and all this sort of stuff and I just find it quite humbling that people see me in disregard um, whether it be in football in terms or mental health terms um, and I find it very very humbling um, so th- th- there's not a chance that I would be kind of ever going down the line of get away from me on having a bad day or anything like that yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be kind of contradicting myself I'd put up that poker face put up that mask for the 10 seconds that I meet people just to make sure I have a lasting effect on them and then try to deal with whatever bad day I may be having and sleeping in the double bed. The GA for people like me, it's um, it's the fact that you guys don't get paid, that it's a commitment that is beyond no other and it, and the localization of it all. It's the fact that, like, I could meet you in Tesco down the road, you know what I mean? If you live near me in Dublin, I could possibly meet you or I could meet, like, I see Philly quite a lot because I used to live near Mount Joy, so I'd see him going in there and... You know, you'd see people and it's like the approachability of being able to talk to someone who is a national hero. Like we're not seeing the rugby players every possibly in Tesco or we're not seeing the footballers, you know. And yeah. as you mentioned, you have to go to Old Trafford if you want to see Roy Keane. Although, to be fair, if I met Roy Keane, I'd expect him to be grumpy to me. If he was nice, I'd be like, what is this? Yeah, I I, I love the man. I think he's the funniest man on, on planet Earth. He's all oh, brilliant. I just love how grumpy he is. I don't think he, he should ever change. <laughs> well, I like that's what I mean. If he was nice to me, I'd be like, "Well, no, oh, I want you to slug me. I want you to give out about me, <laughs> so I can tell everybody." Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, what's, what's wrong with you? But yeah, like it's, it, it's all individual. It's all kind of different characters and different personalities and all that. And you speak of even Philly there as like the the massive kind of change and effect that he's had, not only within his own area in Ballymun, but obviously way, way further afield and that and all that. So it, it, it's great. People open these, and even the, the likes of Philly, what, what he has done and what he will continue to, to do will hopefully inspire a generation to to make a change in a positive way and um, possibly not make, I wouldn't say mistakes, but make um, decisions that will be, you know, um, have a negative effect on their life, you, you know. So he's trying to inject positive change in, in society, as am I, as is anyone, to, 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 put, it, to put it that way. Um, and I won't be going anywhere. I'll, I'll be continuing to do that in some shape or form, whether it be public speaking events or social media or, or whatever it is, whatever I'm at, um, I'll continue to do that until people get sick of me and, and want me to shut up at some stage. <laughs> you know. if, you have, if that happens, yeah. you still have your fan in Gormanstown, so it's grand. She, she'll be like, I'll just keep going. <laughs> Oh, Shane, it's been so nice. I just realised I've had you for over an hour. I'm so sorry. You probably have plans. Well, I know you're playing. You're, 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 you're <laughs> uh, It's been so lovely to talk to you. But honestly, fair play to you because it's not easy to talk about. You know, you might be able to talk, like if I'm having a bad day, I might be able to talk to one person about it. But to be able to like, and to joke about it and be comfortable and, you know, that's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I, I actually, I didn't even realise it was an error there. I'm just looking at Oh my God, uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I did. I really enjoy these kind of things, and and uh, fair play to you. It's it, it's it's been great. Um, and hopefully, as I always come into every single talk that I do, public speaking event, if there's one thing that someone listening uh, has taken from us, take it and spread it far and wide, and hopefully that will have a lasting effect as as, as we've spoken about. Definitely, definitely. And I'll put at the end of this, I'll put the Pieta numbers and all the Smartens and all that kind of stuff where people can go and get help. But honestly, I think. As much as like me, I could talk about, you know, my own mental health or whatever. There's something incredibly moving about it, someone in a position like yours and especially a man as well to talk about it. It just I don't know. There's a driving force behind that that leads to people maybe secretly finding help or just even if it's open up to one person. And yeah. I know we're, we're saying about men and women, but honestly, I suppose as women, we do generalization, I suppose, talk a little bit more. And, and for a sportsman, especially lads around the pub can say Jesus your man who plays for Dublin that's incredible like it's it really is yeah. like and and don't underestimate yourself because that's like you know the old lad who's 60 having his Guinness and has never talked about it before if you're on the late <laughs> late show and you play for Dublin there's two ticks he's like I can talk about that now you know he's on the late late and he plays for Dublin and now I can talk about it yeah oh hopefully 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 we have his point to stay out and, and talk, and talk <laughs> in some sense <laughs> well listen good luck in the game tonight it was lovely to talk to you Shane and I'll chat to you soon yeah, perfect. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. So, how do you feel about that chat? Honestly, I could talk to Shane for an hour. I Like, originally, I said that when we were discussing about, you know, uh, with with the people in Pieta, I was talking, oh, probably, you know, half an hour is probably, is loads because this is his story and it is his mental health journey and you don't want to be the person that's saying to him, you know, tell me uh, two hours of your, you know, the darkest time of your life. But honestly, the, he has such joy in some parts, even in like, you know, telling stories about being in St. Pat's and he has little funny stories. And, you know, he's I don't know, there's there's something so inspiring about him. 
And the fact that he doesn't say, well, I'm fixed now. Oh, I'm grand. There's no bother to me now. You know, I've, I've done my bit in St. Pat's and everything is perfect. Like he, he says that he had a really hard time and, you know, he's after the Late Late Show when he was on it and, you know, everyone in the country was talking about him that he had to take a step back and put some things into place. And I think that's something we should all take note of. Um, know your limits and know when you need to take a step back. And maybe the pandemic has taught us that quite a lot. I know myself it has. I used to rush to three events in a night just because I I felt bad that if I didn't go because, you know, such and such a person invited me and I probably should go and, you know, and then you just think, God, I can't do that anymore. Like, I can't. Um, if you want to get Shane's book, it's obviously out there. It's called Dark Blue, The Despair Behind the Glory, My Journey Back from the Edge. And honestly, I his story in his own words in just this hour conversation has blown me away. So the book, I imagine, is even more incredible and eye opening and brilliant and funny, just like him. I would really encourage everyone to go out and read it, get a copy, read it, share it, send it on. And obviously Shane was chatting to me for World Mental Health Day and that is Sunday, uh, the 10th of October. So if you listen today, if you listen, you know, on the actual day, it's important to know the signs, if whether for yourself, um, for other people. It's also important, as Shane mentioned there, the small things, the little things are so important. You know, send in that text, picking up the phone and just ring someone. Just ring them when you're on, out for a walk. It's good for your mental health, it's good for theirs. I know I find it amazing when I'm out for a walk to just ring someone and, and maybe you're kind of going, and it's ringing, you're nearly like, oh, I hope they don't answer. And then you end up having the best crack. Go for a coffee, go and sit along the canal, do something together. But most of all, if you are struggling, there are people out there that are really, really, I promise you now, you think that the end is, you know, you're helping people by, you know, going away. That's not true. When you leave, if you leave this world, you're leaving a hundred people heartbroken. So please do listen to Shane there. Look, look how, look how his life has turned around. Please seek some help. Pieta is there. Um, They've got free phone which is 1-800-247-247. So it's 1800-247-247 all day, every day. You, if you don't want to speak to someone on the phone, you want to text someone, Pieta, you can just text HELP to 51444 or the mental health uh, line run by the HSC is 50808. And if you are thinking, okay, I'm not suicidal, but you can contact Pieta on a different number to get um, an appointment with a therapist. That's 818 one two six. All these numbers are on pieta.ie. Obviously, there's the Samaritans as well. There's so many people out there to help you, and this world needs you in it. Honestly, every one of you. We're all different. We all have different opinions. We are. We could clash over politics and you know football and the whole lot. Sometimes I think some of those dumb footballers there are eejits on the pitch. That doesn't mean I don't think they're great people off it. You know what I mean? Uh, I cheered on Mayo. Doesn't mean that I don't like Shane as a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we need you here. We need you all here. And just just send a text to someone and tell them you, you maybe you need that walk. Maybe you need them to call over. Maybe you just want to have a little chat with them. Maybe you just want them to sit there with you while you just don't say anything. Maybe you want to do the whole cliff walk like Shane did with his sister where you don't speak but you know what's two hours out in the fresh air whatever it is you need in your life go and let someone help you um if you are interested in mental health and this podcast and this episode has been something that you enjoyed 
um, enjoyed I suppose is a weird word uh, when you're talking about mental health I suppose but um, there are a few episodes that I have done in the past that I think that you might enjoy again weird word um, I spoke to Montana Brown from Love Island she was talking all about her mental health journey losing her friend to suicide and how she saw herself going down a depression at the root of depression and how she pulled herself out of it and what she does um weirdly uh, a lot of people have messaged me about my episode with Sophie from Geordie Shore they kind of assumed it was going to be one way and actually she talked a lot about her journey with depression and how manifestation and positive thinking turned a lot of things around from her and I always always tell people to listen to two episodes in particular um people you may not know um Max Parker who is a celebrity agent from the UK and represents the likes of Binky from Made in Chelsea and Danny from McFly who tried to take his own life a couple of times and is now a a massive celebrity agent with a really successful business and the other one is Brian Penny and he is a former drug addict and I have to say boulevard to Brian because on Friday he celebrated eight years drug free he was a former he's a former heroin addict um drank did a lot of drugs growing up um it was functioning going to work but just about taking heroin taking methadone the whole lot and now and now he's a lecturer in Trinity College and is clean eight years so incredible incredible journeys there's just some of the stories that that are in there Matt Cardell talking about his addictions um, so yeah a lot of these episodes have kind of taken a mental health turn and they weren't really intending to but they're there if that's something you do like to hear on people's stories of how they hit rock bottom and how they've come back from it like Shane these could be episodes for you anyway I'm going to let you go because I'm just yabbering yabbering on and you only came here to listen to Shane and you're like will this one ever stop please so uh, it's lovely to have you here look after yourself send that text go for a coffee whatever it is that you know might make your day a bit better and somebody else's day go and do it and most of all be kind to yourself and to other people and have a good day slongafol bye so how do you feel about that chat honestly I could talk to Shane for an hour I like originally I said that when we were discussing about you know uh, with with the people in Pieta I was talking oh probably you know half an hour is probably is loads because this is his story and it is his mental health journey and you don't want to be the person that's saying to him you know tell me two hours of your you know the darkest time of your life but honestly that he has such joy in some parts even in like you know telling stories about being in St. Pat's and he has little funny stories and you know he's I don't know there's there's something so inspiring about him and the fact that he doesn't say well I'm fixed now oh I'm grand there's no bother to me now you know I've, I've done my bit in St. Pat's and everything is perfect like he, he says that he had a really hard time and you know he's after the Late Late Show when he was on it and you know everyone in the country was talking about him that he had to take a step back and put some things into place and I think that's something we should all take note of Um, know your limits and know when you need to take a step back and maybe the pandemic has taught us that quite a lot I know myself it has I used to rush to three events in a night just because I I felt bad that if I didn't go because you know such and such a person invited me and I probably should go and you know and then you just think god I can't do that anymore like I can't um if you want to get Shane's book it's obviously out there it's called dark blue the despair behind the glory my journey back from the edge and honestly I his story in his own words in just this hour conversation has blown me away so the book I imagine is even more incredible and eye-opening and brilliant and 
funny just like him I would really encourage everyone to go out and read it get a copy read it share it send it on and obviously Shane was chatting to me for World Mental Health Day and that is Sunday at the 10th of October so if you listen today if you listen you know on the actual day it's important to know the signs if whether for yourself um, for other people it's also important as Shane mentioned there the small things the little things are so important you know send in that text picking up the phone and just ring someone just ring them when you're on out for a walk it's good for your mental health it's good for theirs I know I find it amazing when I'm out for a walk to just ring someone and, and maybe you're kind of going oh, it's ringing you're nearly like oh I hope they don't answer and then you end, end up having the best crack go for a coffee go and sit along the canal do something together but most of all if you are struggling there are people out there that are really really I promise you now you think that the end is you know you're helping people by you know going away that's not true when you leave if you leave this world you're leaving a hundred people heartbroken so please do listen to Shane there look look how look how his life has turned around please seek some help Pieta is there um, they've got free phone which is 1-800-247-247 so it's 1-800-247-247 all day every day you, if you don't want to speak to someone on the phone you want to text someone Pieta you can just text help to 51444 or the mental health uh, line run by the HSC is 50808 and if you are thinking okay I'm not suicidal but you can contact Pieta on a different number to get um, an appointment with therapist that's 0818-111-126 all these numbers are on pieta.ie obviously there's the Samaritans as well there's so many people out there to help you and this world needs you in it honestly every one of you we're all different we all have different opinions we are we could clash over politics and you know football and the whole lot sometimes I think some of those Dublin footballers there are idiots on the pitch that doesn't mean I don't think they're great people off it you know what I mean uh, I cheered on Mayo doesn't mean that I don't like Shane as a person <laughs> you know what I mean so we need you here we need you all here and just just send a text to someone and tell them you, you maybe you need that walk maybe you need them to call over maybe you just want to have a little chat with them maybe you just want them to sit there with you while you just don't say anything maybe you want to do the whole cliff walk like Shane did with his sister where you don't speak but you know what's two hours out in the fresh air whatever it is you need in your life go and let someone help you um, if you are interested in mental health and this podcast and this episode has been something that you enjoyed um, enjoyed I suppose is a weird word uh, when you're talking about mental health I suppose but um, there are a few episodes that I have done in the past that I think that you might enjoy again weird word um, I spoke to Montana Brown from Love Island she was talking all about her mental health journey losing her friend to suicide and how she f- saw herself going down a depression a route of depression and how she pulled herself out of it and what she does Um weirdly uh, a lot of people have messaged me about my episode with Sophie from Geordie Shore they kind of assumed it was going to be one way and actually she talked a lot about her journey with depression and how manifestation and positive thinking turned a lot of things around from her and I always always tell people to listen to two episodes in particular um, people you may not know um, Max Parker who is a celebrity agent from the UK and represents the likes of Binky from Made in Chelsea and Danny from McFly who tried to take his own life a couple of times and is now a, a massive celebrity agent with a really successful business and the other one is Brian Penny and he is a former drug addict and I have to say boolabos to Brian because 
on Friday he celebrated eight years drug free. He was a former he's a former heroin addict, um, drank, did a lot of drugs growing up. Um, it was functioning, going to work, but just about taking heroin, taking methadone, the whole lot. And now, and now he's a lecturer in Trinity College and is clean eight years. So incredible, incredible journeys. There's just some of the stories that that are in there. Matt Cardle talking about his addictions. Um, so yeah, a lot of these episodes have kind of taken a mental health turn and they weren't really intending to. But they're there if that's something you do like to hear on people's stories of how they hit rock bottom and how they've come back from it. Like Shane, these could be episodes for you. Anyway, I'm going to let you go because I'm just yabbering yabbering on and you only came here to listen to Shane and you're like, well, this will never stop, please. So uh, it's lovely to have you here. Look after yourself. Send that text go for a coffee whatever it is that you know might make your day a bit better and somebody else's day go and do it and most of all be kind to yourself and to other people and have a good day slonga bye